0: Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Need Some Introduction. I'm your host, Victor, and in today's episode, I'll be breaking down the final episode of the final season of Succession, an episode called With Open Eyes. This is a holiday weekend, so I have some extra time. I can stay up extra late to record this episode, although I am pre-recording this segment just to save some time, so you are getting this episode earlier than usual Sona and I in the past have oftentimes recorded our reactions to the finales immediately afterwards. This is a very long episode, and I will also be watching the Barry finale tonight as well. So way too late for Sona to join me for a conversation. So this is going to be way more episodes this week than you possibly ever wanted (laughs) from this podcast. So in this episode, you'll be getting my initial reaction, and it's going to be a little different than usual. You'll actually be seeing me walk through the episode as I'm watching it. So I'll probably be taking pauses as I'm watching and giving you my instant reactions over the course of the episode. So some of my early speculation may not pay off by the end. So a little bit different in format and we'll try it out as an experiment here. And then hot on the heels of this episode, do check our feed because expect to see that Barry finale recap to drop shortly thereafter as well. But wait, there's more. I actually have vacation tomorrow, the rare day off from my nine to five job as the Sona. So do expect a second succession episode where I catch up with Sona and we discuss the events of this finale. And later in the week, there's still more. Expect on Wednesday to get my reaction to series finale, once again, of Ted Lasso. And just my opinions on the trajectory of that show, for better and worse, but wait, there's even more. I've already pre-recorded a season catch-up on the first five episodes of the show Silo, and I'll be watching this sixth episode, which drops this week, and expect to get that episode Thursday night or early Friday. So a busy, busy week here for the podcast. And with all of these shows coming to an end in May, I've actually struggled now to find things to discuss in June, but here's just some. Of the conversations that i'll be having next week expect at least one episode i might quit on the show the idol from hbo which is the lowest reviewed series ever for hbo's prestigious sunday night schedule but i am still very interested in the show for its very complicated gestation history and in that same episode expect me to be discussing my interest in the weekend as a musical performer as well also premiering next sunday finally is The Lazarus Project, a BBC series, which I've already seen, by the way, season one of this series. But now finally, after being delayed for many months, is coming to TNT. Unless they pull the plug again, well, we'll wait and see if they don't pull the plug on it one day before its premiere again. And that might be something that I'll be discussing ongoing now that it's available here in the US and maybe folding that into our weekly recaps of Silo as well. Other shows that we'll be covering here over the course of June now that our current season is wrapping up. Based on a true story, on Peacock, which premieres on June 8th. The Crowded Room, premiering on June 9th on Apple TV+. Plus, Secret Invasion, the new MCU series coming on the 21st. The Bear, the second season of that. We've already covered season one of The Bear. Very entertaining series. A word of mouth phenomena last year. And now well under a year after that season, a second season of the show available on the 22nd. A new hijack drama, which takes place over real time, seven episodes, seven hours on the plane. Idris Elba starring in a new Apple TV Plus show called Hijack, coming out on the 28th. And somewhere during the course of this month, one of my favorite shows, despite a terrible most recent season, I must say, but the anthology series Black Mirror is coming back to Netflix. And I'm very curious about that. At its best, it's one of the absolute best shows on TV, but I do have my concerns after the mixed, at best, most recent season of that show. So no signature show here for us to be covering in June. However, many things to discuss. And that doesn't even mention all the movies that are coming out. The Flash, the new Indiana Jones, the sequel to Spider-Man Into the Spider-Verse, Across the Spider-Verse, which was one of my absolute favorite films of that year, all coming in this packed month of June. And I'm sure other things will pop up along the way as well. Make sure you subscribe if any of that sounds interesting to you, and you'll receive notifications when we have new episodes. Send us your feedback, need some introduction at gmail.com. And most importantly, recommend us to your friends and family or listen to shows in our backlog if you'd like to support the show. So, as I mentioned earlier, this is going to be a little bit different in format. My live experience of watching the episode. It'll be edited, by the way. Don't expect to just hear log pauses as I watch the show. But a little housekeeping, something that I always forget to do or recently have forgotten to do in discussing the show, which uh, I wish I've not watched yet. It's uh, still a few minutes off. Mark Millad is the director, just like last week, and Jesse Armstrong writing this week's episode as well, the creator of the show, just like last week. Not too surprising. And the name of the episode, With Open Eyes. I do want to call this out because I brought this up in last year's finale recap. But haven't mentioned it since. Every season finale of this series has taken its title from a poem called Dream Song 29 by John Berryman. This poem is from 1964. And in this dream poem, the main character, called Henry, I believe, Berryman wrote these poems with this recurring character, which is obviously some somewhat fictionalized version of himself. And in this poem, the narrator, has a recurring dream in which he's murdered somebody, but not for real. There's nobody who actually dies. It's just a fear he has that he has somehow caused someone else's death. And the season one finale had the title, Nobody is Ever Missing. Because in this version of the story, the poem itself, when he awakens, no one has been murdered. No one is actually missing. So a very different interpretation of this, of course, is the fact that Kendall caused the death of somebody, literally did. It's not just the paranoia he has, it literally is the case, that he has killed somebody or is involved in their death. But it's interesting that we say nobody is ever missing. And I can't help but think about Logan saying no real person was injured in that death because this kid was a non-person. He was too low, which is ironic, of course, because Logan comes from meager beginnings as well. And yet no real person was hurt. So season one finale, nobody is ever missing. Season two, This is not for tears. Now, honestly, off the top of my head, maybe I need to do a rewatch of that season. But the twist where he reverses on, Kendall reverses on Logan instead of taking the fall. This idea that there's no reason to cry about things. Probably something that Logan would say, but I'm not sure how it ties in specifically to season two's finale. And then season three's finale, All the Bells Say, which comes from the stanza, All the Bells Say, too late. This is not for tears. Thinking. So it ties directly back to the previous seasons, This Is Not For Tears. And for this year's finale and the series finale, we have the previous line from the poem, With Open Eyes. The entire quote actually is ghastly. With open eyes, he attends, blind. All the bells say, too late. This is not for tears, thinking. So what could this mean? Eyes open, but still blind. This, of course, makes me think of Oedipus, Oedipus Rex. Roman has mentioned some edible fantasies just last week. <laughs> I don't think that's what this means.
1: Well, I, 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 wondered if, you know, I guess I thought it might be worth raising. Are there any uh, positives about the nightmare we've shared?
2: As in, I guess if if
1: there was anything there, uh, if there was, then it would be so convenient
2: well, it would be incredibly convenient because you would be married to your husband.
1: <laughs> yeah, exactly. I mean, think of the scheduling, it's it's mess free.
2: Yeah, you've fallen in love. Finally, you've uh, you've you've fallen in love with our scheduling opportunities.
0: Uh-huh. As the episode begins, we see Kendall arriving at the offices. He hears on the headlines that the Gojo deal appears to be a go. Kendall thinks he has the votes. Talking to Telly, his advisor, he thinks he has this vote. He thinks he has that vote. Telly's already advised him that Stewie is not responding. And how about Roman? Is Roman even going to show up? He tells Telly Bear, as he calls him, that he just doesn't know. He doesn't know. Is that what he wants to hear? Shiv, meanwhile, is with Lucas. She's also very confident, has actually spoken to some of these people. She does seem to be here in a better position and of course, there is a whole squad of people. This is probably legitimately true, by the way, because there's a whole group of these folks that simply want the deal to go through because they want to get paid money, as she says, because money. But she's also very interested in the future of Tom. Lucas is a little questioning on this. And when he asks her for advice as who should remain in charge at ATN, ATN obviously is important to him and very profitable. She tries to dismiss all of this. Well, he's an interchangeable piece. I could tell him this to his face and he would accept it. So it's really up to you, but he's popular within the organization. He'll be easy to control. And she says something pretty disparaging here that he'll just suck the biggest stick in the room, which of course is pretty true that Tom really goes with whoever is the alpha dog in the room. But I do think she does want to keep Tom here. Despite all her protestation, I think she really does still care for him. And that may play out in the very next conversation. During this meeting, in parallel action, interesting how they're telling us this story here, Shiv gets a call from her mother. Where's her mother right now? Is she already in the Caribbean preparing for this airing out? Because she says, one of your brothers is here, and it's not Kendall. (laughs) Mystery. (laughs) Who could it possibly be? So we now know where Roman is. And while she's having this conversation, we see that Matson has opened up this profile that says, is Lucas Matson taking over the world? Even though that's the headline, we see Shiv, very large in this cartoon, pulling these tangled strings. Two things here. Very interesting that somehow this article has been written. In what period of time has the whole Shiv is pulling Lucas's strings where her brothers, uh, This is if this is legitimately happening within a week or a week and change, two or three days ago, her brothers didn't even know about this whole situation with Shiv and now somehow this profile's been written with Shiv as the puppet master. Even if this is a rumor that broke two days ago, what, what is the speed of getting these art, these uh magazines out into distribution? This isn't an online blog post, by the way. It's a physical magazine. <laughs> so the logistics of this, not really working for me. A minor quibble. And of course, this show is telling us a lot there, purely visually. However, this show is Has a tendency to be overwritten, in my opinion, although it's very well written, of course. Incredible dialogue and incredible characterizations, but a little overwritten to the point where we got all we needed from that. But of course, we have to actually have Matson and Shiv have a conversation about it. He's like, yeah, they're making fun of me. I can take it. They never get me. But I think the reason we saw that is to see that Matson is thinking if Shiv is really the partner, his ego may be taking a little bruising here minor note here, Sarah Snook is obviously pregnant at this point. So just goes to speak to the fact of the conversation we had just last week, that maybe it was inevitable that they had to write the pregnancy into the story. This is 10 weeks of show. Traditionally in old TV production time, it would be one week per episode for these prestige shows. Like The Sopranos was maybe the most egregious at this. Eight episodes or something would take many months. So this probably took five months, six months with all the travel, et cetera. Five months of pregnancy is going to be extremely hard to hide. And of course, that might be why they had to inevitably write the pregnancy into the show. Back into the text of the show, Shiv tells Madsen she got a call from a colleague and she needed to make a few more political moves and does confess, obviously not that had anything to do with her mother calling, but that indeed she is trying to nail down Roman but probably she's more concerned about Roman. We've seen that these siblings do turn up for each other when they need to. She makes a miraculously short drive to the airport. Maybe this hotel where she's staying with Matson is not in the city, but is close to the airport. Who knows? This board meeting is the next day, by the way. We discovered that earlier on. And then as she's boarding the flight, we see her talking to Tom. Tom is with Greg. And that's when we have this incredible exchange between the two characters.
2: You don't like to fail the test, do you, Siobhan? Well.
0: No.
1: Uh look I know that we've said the worst things. But I I think I've always just been scared in relationships of uh you know like the underneaths. You know, what's the worst thing a person thinks? But we know. But once you've said and done the worst things, you're kind of free. Yeah, I guess, I guess my question is, are you interested in a real relationship?
2: Honest to God, I don't know. Shiv, I just, I, uh... I just don't know.
0: Just amazing everything they say to each other here. The fact that they have said the worst things to each other, so maybe they can finally get past it. His response to being on the fence, which I completely understand, that, oh, you have finally fallen in love with the scheduling opportunity of being married, (laughs) the convenience of it. This is pretty brutal, but of course, this speaks to the fact that there are logistical conveniences (laughs) in staying married, obviously, especially when you have children. So just a fact of life. And the fact that we have this metaphor for all the struggles within their relationship just in this minute of dialogue. So excellent. So all of this is really excellent. Kendall gets word of Roman's location and still trying to get Stewie to give him a call back. When he calls up his mom, she does not invite him to come. Interesting. She did reach out to Shiv, knowing, of course, I'm sure even with her disinterest in the day-to-day of the organization, she must know that this whole board meeting is coming the next day, which does speak to the fact that this is probably a terrible time for her to have this event, by the way. She did invite Shiv to come help out Roman, but not Kendall. And of course, we do not know enough about their whole history together, but I think it does say something that the mother knows that there's more solace to be given from Shiv than from Kendall. She will at least not be as transparently aggressive about getting his vote. There's this funny interaction when Shiv arrives and is talking about the, the injury around Roman's eye. Caroline mentions that she could not deal with him when he arrived, <laughs> that Peter had to put the eyedrops in. She has an issue with eyes. <laughs> she calls them blobs of jellies, these face eggs. She can't deal with it. Kendall, likewise, has teleported to this island. <laughs> I, I don't understand how they get down there so quickly. But given the fact that the sun is setting at the time that the siblings have a pretty important conversation here out on the terrace, maybe the logistics of this aren't as, as completely ridiculous as they seem to be. Stewie has contacted Kendall finally, and we only hear one half of this conversation, one side of this conversation. And it sounds like Kendall feels that Stewie is back on board, backing him in this deal. He's obviously been talking to many people and working angles here. So is he really on Kendall's side or not? Remains to be seen, I think. He arrives at the house and is very aggressive, immediately trying to nail Roman down, bully him into saying he'll vote for him. Once again, we see this family dynamic. I'm sure this is how it was when they were younger as well. Roman storming off and Kendall just thinking if he just keeps yelling at him, he's going to vote his way. Honestly, Roman could just say, yes, I'm going to vote for you and then do whatever the hell he wants just to get him off his back. We see it's later in the day, Lucas and Greg and Tom are all together at an art gallery. Tom is trying to pretend that he's enjoying the experience. When Lucas wanders off, he confronts Greg. He's very uncomfortable about this. How does what I'm saying sound? Does it make sense? He's been dreading hanging out with Lucas, by the way, even back when he was having the conversation with Shiv earlier in the day. And Tom keeps pressuring Greg to get more gossip, get more information, hang out with Ebba, find out something. Greg starts saying, hey, I don't care what happens with you. He likes me. I think I'm pretty safe. Tom, of course, is trying to keep him scared, says, you're getting paid $200,000 a year, pretty good salary, by the way, for Greg, $200,000 a year to be an assistant. Do you think they're going to keep paying you that? Your salary is going to get cut, or you're out of here. He says it's going to be the death march for the family. Back out on the island at Caroline's house, Roman and Shiv are out on this beautiful terrace as the sun's about to set. Kendall's decided to stay for dinner. He was originally going to bail, but... Shiv said, Well, yeah, of course he's losing, so he has he's very busy. He can't stay for dinner, which of course reverses his decision. Kendall says, the early bird catches the roam to Shiv. Kendall mentions to Shiv, Did you know that Matson has been talking to Lawrence Yi, the CEO of Walter? She says, Yes, of course I knew, but you can tell she didn't know, which makes her wary that maybe he's shopping around for another, another US CEO. Roman shows up. He says, Here I am, the human vote. Maybe I can cut off one arm for each of you and you'll leave me alone. Shiv's olive branch here first. She says, hey, you know, you guys were really high on that 100. What if I gave you my share of it? They roll their eyes at this. Of course, what they want is to wear the crown over at Waystar Royco. Although, what are they going to do? Continue to split the job? Not sure how Roman fits into this whole thing. And I'm sure he's thinking the same thing. Roman says, oh, great. You're going to offer me a job at the mall with real money? Then she goes a different route, trying to lure them in saying, hey, does that mean you're not going to hang out with your, your niece or nephew? And she says, you know what? I played it better. I'm tired of apologizing for it.
1: My kid loses access to its uncles, yeah? Oh no,
3: that's... Okay. No, come
1: on. Yeah, What's like... it going to do without all the the sexist and homophobic jokes?
3: Don't fucking try and play us, Shiv. Like, stop fucking gloating. You've got your hands on my throat. Yeah? So don't be all fucking Joan of Waystar.
1: All right, well, I don't know what to say, because you... You know you fucking grabbed the crown, the two of you. Dad died and you fucking you grabbed the crown and pushed me out. So I don't know why I'm the cunt here.
3: Cunt is as cunt does.
1: <laughs> Amazing. Wow Cicero on the on the wheels of steel. Well, fuck off. Okay? I won. And I'm sorry for winning. But I did. Sorry. I'm sorry. And you know what? I'm actually tired of saying fucking sorry. I played it better. So why don't you take it like a man and just eat it?
2: My, what a lovely evening on the terrace.
0: Now, she's pretty confident here. And on paper, she's winning this vote. And of course, Matson does need her to help with some of these votes. But some of them, some of this logic here that money will lure some of these stakeholders is true, whether she's CEO or not. So she has every right to rub it in. Kendall's face, and yet no guarantee that this is going to play out the way she wants it to. Matson needs a pain sponge. What is happening in this scene? He's having dinner with Tom, says, can I be totally honest with you, confesses to an attraction he has to Shiv, but then offers him the head job.
4: I want to fuck her on a little bit. And I think under, sorry to get weird, but like the right circumstances- I think she'd fuck me, too. Oh. Is this making you uncomfortable? I'm sorry if it's weird. No, yeah. no, we're men. Yeah. I can't deal with the mess of that, you know? So then I was thinking, well, if I can have fucking anyone in the world, <laughs> why don't I get the guy who put the baby inside her instead of the baby lady? Right. No. Well, uh, I could do it. Because... I could definitely, easily... Definitely do. I need an American, because I don't want to scare the horses. ATN being the, the profit center. Mencken likes you. If that happens, you know, you, um, you're you fucking talented. So, uh, but also, honestly, I'm not looking for a partner. You know, I'm looking for a front man, because um, we're going to cut shit close to the bone. We're going to get right fucking in there. It's going
0: to get nasty. Uh, So I need a pain sponge. So this is obviously a manipulation. Is he testing him? Does he want to see? Is this a loyalty test? Is he going to go talk to Shiv? But there is some truth here too. He did not like that profile. And maybe what it did was escalate this concern he already had. That she has her own ideas. She's going to want to have real power. That's why these siblings have been fighting each other this whole entire time, a Roy in power to show some continuity, but he's starting to think, is that the right approach? Does he really need them? And do they actually have any kind of sway? For example, with Macon. do they? She doesn't. Roman doesn't. Kendall, he doesn't seem to like Kendall either. So what's the upside from keeping one of the Roy's in power? And I had asked the same question last week. And Matson, of course, is having this exact thought process. And Tom is thinking about this as Matson rallies his troops, his party troops, Oscar and others, and they're going to do some shots and they're going to paint the town red. Hopefully this does not end up like Tom's bachelor party. <laughs> he may have to swallow some more ejaculate before the night is over. Clever, clever Greg, honestly one of the more clever characters on this show, which might not be saying that much, decides to translate the conversation between Oscar and Lucas and discovers that he is indeed... He's indeed not offering Shiv the position, but does that mean it's Tom? Hmm. We know he's been shopping around for a different CEO. Greg leaks to Kendall and Kendall brings in Shiv and Roman, interrupting a business pitch about senior care centers, like just ripping off Living Plus, by the way, but this seems to sound like, this is all happening in the background, by the way, but it seems to be a very, very low rent version, no bells and whistles for housing the elderly. (laughs) This is living plus light perhaps. But before we move on beyond that, this is all kind of comedic, but I do want to circle back to the fact that Caroline does indeed seem to say something that Sona and I discussed here on the podcast last year. Maybe she had good intentions by taking away the vote from her kids back in Rome. They asked her to apologize for what happened And she says, this was always my plan. Maybe this is a perfect opportunity for you to walk away and start your lives over. These people are not that old, by the way. They have their whole lives ahead of them, honestly. I think they should move on. But of course, it's very hard to have committed so much to this belief in yourself and what's going to happen and just give up on this dream. But maybe she's right. And she even says, maybe selling to that terrible man is not a bad idea so that you can move on with your lives. And they also mentioned the fact that this was what the dad wanted as well, of course. But that, of course, gets all blown up with the announcement that the confirmation from Shiv that this is indeed happening, she's no longer in contention to be Matson's CEO. And then nobody wants to talk to Telly. No one, or Tellis, I guess his name actually is. And that no one wants to talk to him. But for me, this conversation is the most rational conversation from a business perspective that I've heard on this show for quite some time
2: chop and shiv doesn't have shiv's here fuck you tell us sorry shiv no i i just mean in terms of the names which are being discussed they they make i just
1: cut to the chase blondie
2: okay if it's you three as a voting block and on top you have say
3: i have uh, i have ewan i have paul i have dewey i think and and then stewie pretty sure
2: i mean as a voting block you can probably threaten to kill it so yeah you have the whip man
3: what about leadership yeah
2: Yeah. You need to present a coherent plan to the board, including your leadership candidate.
1: Uh Uh-huh. And and, and a a combination or, like like, a trio, a troika? Would that work, or...?
2: Um... Just fucking say it, man. Just say. I think it hasn't been great for credibility. The Incredible Fuck Brother bandwagon.
1: I don't know who the hell calls us the Incredible Fuck Brother bandwagon. Everyone. Really.
2: You need to look like a united front with a coherent plan that's not a cop-out at the fudge factory, one strong name for CEO, either combined with a chair or a chair with business Mm
3: chops,
2: is what I would say off the record.
0: So yes, an adult conversation. You need to have a clear leader. You need to have somebody with business chops close to that leader. You can't just say, Hey, look, we're all thumb wrestling for control of daddy's business and making spectacles of ourselves in public. Okay, we've arrived at this fulcrum point in or near the middle of the episode here, only halfway through this very long episode, not even halfway through. And we have this great interchange. Kendall says, dad offered this to me when I was seven. Roman says, he offered it to me a week ago. (laughs) Honestly, it's just a day before he died, actually had that conversation with Roman. He doesn't mention the fact that Tom was there, I believe, for that conversation. So if you wanted some evidence, because everybody's asking for evidence here, but this is so pathetic in a way. And Kendall turns it on Roman, for example, and says, do you even want this? Like, can you do this? Think about what just happened a day before. And he's right. Kendall, I, I never side with Kendall on the show, by the way, but Kendall's absolutely correct in this moment. Of course, I don't even think any of them should be CEO, just to be clear. <laughs> but of the three of them, if they can somehow get a voting block, it's going to be Roman? Really? And Kendall makes a great pitch where he honestly is the only one who is in a position to take the role. He doesn't want it, but he can't say it. And me. I love you, Shiv.
3: I fucking love you. But we simply cannot walk in there and say we're blocking his offer and we have this compelling vision and say that leading it is you when yesterday you were singing his song. We simply can't. And we can't say it's Roman because he likes Hefton. He he looks pathetic and he might flop so obviously i want it to be me but i genuinely think anyone would say anyone objectively would say la my, my profile experience uh, position desire public pronouncements it's me if we want to hold on to this company for us for my kids for yours
0: even roman have a conversation here they discuss well who would dad even want to have the role Probably none of us is a Roman's opinion. Shiv's theory is that he wouldn't even think about it. He's just thinking about surviving the day, and they're like he does make sense. Kendall does make sense to some extent. Maybe we should just give it to him. And then there's this funny exchange where they plan to murder him. But what if it goes wrong? And they both do impressions of Kendall here. Very funny stuff.
1: Unless, unless, unless we kill him. Okay, kill him. Yeah, I like that. That's intriguing. How we do it? Well. Just a bit of horseplay gone wrong. Just a biff to the head and a bonk on the noggin with a coconut. Wait till he goes, lamp yeah. goes around, comes around? Yeah, and if we kill him, we get to go to bed. I'm tired.
4: It'd be so annoying if it went wrong, the murdering. Like, did you just try to murder me? Dude, that is so Ugh. not actually what you're meant to do, and it is not a good thing to do. You guys actually
1: just murdered me you guys are the worst how <laughs> dare you
0: I do like the assessments of the character here by the way, especially Romans where he seems to indicate that did you do you know that you almost killed me this is obviously not what you meant to do <laughs> that he would want to rewrite that history in his mind which once again might be very true understanding his brother pretty well here they do swim over to Kendall and anoint him they give him the crown which leads to this truly great scene among all of them in the kitchen. Now, truly in the middle of the episode and a really, really sweet moment here. Here are the siblings. We can see it just beautifully here, really, honestly, just an incredible scene. This is the family dynamic. This is what, you know, this is recreating that family dynamic. They have this tradition, apparently, when they torment one or the other, usually for a success they've had. A meal made for a king, which obviously they have a song for it and everything. You can tell there is a tradition here. They make the most disgusting shake they can imagine. (laughs) There's very little food there, unfortunately. Caroline doesn't stock it. There is some cheese, though. It is Peter's special cheese. Nope, touches cheese. She's gotten into trouble for that already. And Caroline shows up. She says, Oh boy, here we go. One of you is going to take this stupid job, but she's happy to see them. Being cordial with each other and not fighting and agreeing on something other than her being a terrible mother, trying to go for sympathy vote here. But as she exits, she does say, Love you, and they say love you back. And I imagine that, you know, they were probably rarely with the mom. The mom was traveling. The mom had nannies and babysitters around or other family members watching the kids. But I imagine when she was around, this was the dynamic they had. And just a very sweet moment here, but. I hate to tell you. I have not finished seeing the episode yet. This is my live reaction that you're hearing here. I feel this is not going to end well. They teleport back, (laughs) they take a flight back to Manhattan for the vote, but one more comedic stop along the way. They have to stop at Logan's old home, now of course occupied by Connor. Connor has a very simple way of claiming the artifacts from the house. The system is pretty simple. So. As you move in a clockwise direction around the apartment, affix your stickers to objects you covet. One sticker each on a number of different articles
2: or many on one prized item. Hmm? Okay, so subsequent
0: circulating mourners mm-hmm. will then apply their stickers. After two stickering perambulating circuits... We
1: call them SBCs.
0: Okay. ...objects will be assigned to the higher sticker bidder. Where sticker claims are tied, we move on to the tie-break. Stickering perambulation circuit TBSBCs after which all unstickered items will be pooled and distributed in reverse alphabetical order other than those
3: stickered by the uh, Second tier excuse me uh, bereaved do I make myself clear
0: (laughs) the second tier bereaved including Carrie including Colin and everybody else Practically they do ask why does everything have to go and of course Willa mentions the fact that they have some new furniture coming in Just going to redecorate and there's a new living condition here A two-week itch, as Roman puts it. They're thinking of having a long-distance marriage. She has a play that she has to start rehearsing and writing, apparently. And Connor has that position in Slovenia when Mencken pulls through. But we hear here in passing that apparently Mencken's lost some court proceeding in Wisconsin, so he may not have the votes to win the state. So Willa may be stuck with him after all. And she takes this all in (laughs) not well, apparently. And in the next room, we see a video screen of a dinner. They're all together. Carrie's there sitting at Logan's side. By the way, at the time, it seemed like maybe they were just making fun of her. Maybe this was more discreet than it was. She seems to be there as his date explicitly in this video, squeezing his arm when he gets emotional. And what a great video here, by the way. We have these really touching moments where you see this family being a functional family, something we've rarely seen over the course of the show kind of just acknowledging that here in its finale. Logan has somehow memorized all the losing candidates, everybody who's lost the presidential election for many, many years, maybe all of them. Connor does I'm a Little Teapot in the style of Logan. And this is really great, actually. Something passes on Roman's face when he sees Jerry do her limerick. And then Carl sings, this is an English folk song called Green Grow the Rushes. Oh, And I think mostly sung as a Christmas carol, but it has a very long history. And Carl starts singing and everybody else joins in. And the audience, the contemporary audience, the siblings, have a very emotional reaction to it. Again, another really beautiful scene here. The family, their history together, and happy as a unit, perhaps, at least for the moment. We are approaching the end game of this episode, and it's going to be ugly in the boardroom, I am pretty sure. And I have no idea how it's going to play out. And then the dominoes start falling. Tom talks to Shiv. Shiv mentions, nah, my deal's not going to work. And then he says, well, maybe you should vote it through anyway. Move mistake number one. If he's going to try to work it out with her, has to be upfront about this whole thing. He does tell her, it's going to be me. Shiv is now emboldened to blow this thing up if she wanted to be motivated. Well, she definitely doesn't want Tom to get the CEO Position over her. So now she's doubling down on this alliance with Kendall. They have to shore up their support. After a slap fight with Greg, Tom notifies Lucas as well. And Lucas is, get those phones out, shore up the votes. And here we go. Who gets the alliance to carry the vote at the board meeting? Now, of all the bizarre ways that I expected that the death of that boy would come and bite Kendall in the ass. This was not how I foresaw it happening. There's the vote in the room. It's six to six. Shiv ends up being the tiebreaker. I'm a little questioning as to Kendall actually being able to sway some of these people his way. But regardless, it's a tie vote. Shiv is the deciding vote. And she needs a moment. The siblings exit the room, and things get like, really ugly. We just had this moment of familial reconnection. And Kendall, prematurely cocky, this has just gone the wrong way. Going back, let's go even further back than the vote in the room. He's being weird when he gets about sitting in the chair. It's dad's chair. They're like, no, go ahead. It's okay. As soon as he sits in the chair, he starts to get an overly cocky attitude, the way he talks to Stewie when he walks in. But when Stewie over... But you see, this is rubbing Roman and Shiv both the wrong way. And Roman starts to wobble here as well. And this is a really creepy indicator of how Kendall gets when he thinks he's so close. He's so close to what he wants. And Roman too, showing his psychology here, looks at his stitches, freaks out about the fact that Jerry is there still smarting from... His conversation with her, troubled even just seeing her in that video, that Christmas video earlier, and then looking at his reflection and saying, It should be me. Hey, wait, it should be, it should be me. And look, the stitches don't look that bad. Apparently, the cut over his eye made him so self conscious that now all of a sudden, just seeing that they work, they don't look that bad, he's thinking, wait, maybe I can make a play. Kendall immediately takes this as a threat and squeezes those stitches against his shoulder, pretending to be letting him cry it out when actually he is trying to pop his stitches, which he successfully does. And of course, deflates Roman, bullied, cowering once again, the same dynamic they've had since they were kids. But apparently Kendall has put him back in line. But once again, into the vote, Roman votes his way, but Shiv needs a minute. And that dynamic starts to play out again. She starts spinning. There's, you just, it can't be you. Maybe this is just purely her still cannot accept the fact that Kendall's going to win. It's that same dynamic they've had forever. Coming back yet again, even though they were so confident about the vote at this moment. But I think also deep down inside, she's probably right about some of the things she's saying. It really shouldn't be him. This is bad for him. He will be bad at this job. He is so self-destructive. One minute of thinking he has things figured out and he's already starting to spin out of control and the votes aren't even in yet. And it's already starting to happen. So mostly I think she's motivated by her jealousy, but also she's probably right. He is dangerous in this circumstance. And even though Roman voted his way, he starts piling on as well saying, well, maybe she's right. And she goes in another reason you can't be CEO is you killed that kid. And he, without batting an eyelash, he's been so ready to make this pivot. He immediately says, it didn't happen. I made up the story. It was just for us to bond over. Don't worry about that. That's, it's all made up. I, nothing happened. Nothing happened. Once again, reflecting the tone of that poem, it didn't happen. It didn't happen. Although of course it did in this circumstance actually happen. And if he thought he was playing this the right way, it's offensive to them that this is how he manipulated them. Like, wh- how? What is he saying? What, is he lying to them now? or was he manipulating them? Then what is happening? They're completely, she is completely like, I have no faith in you right now at all. But he tries to grab her and Roman already having been assaulted by Kendall. Interestingly, Roman is the one who becomes the punching bag when he sees someone abusive. So he insults Kendall here, saying something that the dad had said before, that the kids aren't even Kendall's kids. And saying that if the dad's really worried about the bloodline, well, she has the bloodline, and you do not because you're not the father of those kids. This is obviously incredibly insulting. But once again, it is a way to draw the violence away from the other person in the room and onto him. Again, this pattern of abuse, probably the pattern he had as a child. Shiv does escape while they grapple. And anybody in that room, by the way, if they can still change their vote, maybe they can't at this moment, but if they can just change their vote. I mean, I'm sure they could have an emergency secondary vote. Nobody's going to vote for Kendall after what they've just seen. (laughs) I mean, some people will still do it, but I'd say he's going to lose at least one or two votes. And then we have this really honest moment from Roman, finally admitting the fact that this thing that they've been fighting over for so long, what is it anymore? This old media legacy that they're desperately trying to cling to.
3: Let's offer Frank. We can, still, we can still do this. Bullshit, man. Come on. It's fucking nothing. Stop No, there's, there's something here. There's an angle. No, no, no. It's still... fuck
1: all, man. It's bits of glue and broken shows, fucking phony news. It's fucking. Come on.
3: We have this. We can still do this. Oh man.
1: my god, man. It's nothing, okay? It's just nothing. It's fucking nothing. Stop it.
3: No, 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 no. Yeah. I... Hey! We are bullshit. We are not bullshit. We are
1: bullshit. You are bullshit. You're fucking bullshit. Man, I'm fucking bullshit. She's bullshit. It's all fucking nothing. Man, I'm telling you this because I I know it. Okay? We're nothing.
0: Okay. Okay. Some interesting things that Kendall had said in those moments before Shiv voted the other way. I'm a cog that can fit only in one machine. And then angrily saying, I'm the eldest boy, which he's not, of course. Connor's actually the eldest boy. Crestfallen Kendall, heads out, taking the elevator down. Of course, he does make a pit stop. Should be adjourned to vote for temporarily. It's already done. Frank and Carl start talking about, hey, you know, do we get our golden parachute or is it maybe one more rodeo? What are you thinking? (laughs) I'm thinking we should have slit his throat in the crib, is what they say. Tom, what's his new organization going to look like? He's going to keep Jerry around. Good decision making right there, Tommy no to Frank and Carl. They're gone. Never friends of his in the first place. Carl said those very insulting things about him earlier. And Greg, how about me? How about me? Tom says, I'm keeping you around. and puts a sticker on his forehead, (laughs) the stickers from Logan's house, picking the things he chooses to keep. He tells Shiv confidently, meet me at the car. There's still some procedural stuff here. The paperwork has to be signed over. There's a photo op. Shiv's not going to do it. And of course, she's not co-CEO and Kendall is gone. So someone has to sign the papers. (laughs) Roman's standing at the door, bring the papers over here. Of course, where there's media waiting for the photo op. He does indeed sign the paperwork, says he loves him, surrounded by his team, his Gojo team, and of course the Royco team as well. He calls it Jesus and his disciples, even with Judas in the room, which is Greg, a little shout out to Greg, (laughs) the Judas in the room. And in those final moments, what do we see? Roman getting a martini, a little smirk on his face maybe finally free of all this i hope so tom and shiv in the car tom puts his hand out shiv places her hand on his no interlocking fingers she's not happy with this arrangement but it does keep her close closer than anybody else to the center of this universe so she's compromised herself is she going to be raising their children is she going to become caroline is she going to become her mother and is tom already starting to turn into this toxic persona. I think there has been a lot of sympathy for Tom. I've had sympathy for Tom throughout the course of this show, but you see him here and there's a coldness here that maybe she's been seeking this whole time. She's transformed Tom maybe into a man like her father, but what else could she have done? She got the runaround from Matson and her brothers obviously had no interest in sharing the power with her. Definitely not Kendall, no chance of that at all. And Kendall, of course, walking in the park, trailed by Colin, reminding us of his father just shortly before his death, another sunset, and Kendall, once again, by the water's edge. And we hear the water lapping, and he is a completely broken man. This is, as he said, the only job he could imagine himself ever having. He's been built by his father or by his own expectations to only do one thing. And now finally, at this moment, it's done it's no longer possible. And I would hope that maybe, just maybe, there is another life for him beyond the scope of his father's dreams.
2: It feels really scary and foolish to to end, but with that sense that it must end. So that's what I guess I cling on to.
0: So how do I feel about all this some incredible sequences here. I love the sequence where Roman is saying that we're all bullshit. This, you know, she's bullshit. I'm bullshit. This is all bullshit. And if you think about Roy Coe in general and why the dad wanted to sell it off, you know, let's do a real world analogy. The simple fact is like Fox sold off all its media assets and just maintained the news organization. And the news organization is still incredibly profitable. It runs ads on these cable channels. An audience that gets older and older every single year, their ad revenue actually drops off because these older viewers are considered less attractive to advertisers. So, what is the long term strategy for a company like Fox News, for example, which obviously correlates closely to what we're seeing here in the show? They could be a movie studio, they could be, which is just one of thousands of other content providers now. You think YouTube, for example, which just publishes people's videos is more valuable than most of these 100-year-old movie studios, for example. So the world has changed. This old media company doesn't matter as much. It matters a lot in the context of did this election go their way? It may not have even gone their way, but it is this one last moment in which they are essential, and it is fading away. So Roman's right. Like, What are we fighting over? Like, Can we build something new? Now, building something new, growing something new is very, very difficult but these kids have had all the opportunities to do something like that. Kendall's not going to do that. you know. uh, Jesse Armstrong in the final exit interview here from the show, this featurette that they have at the end of the episode, mentions where he thinks these folks go. Roman goes back to just hanging out at the bar and being the funny guy at the bar and being incredibly rich and doing whatever the hell he wants, but he is not going to become a CEO. He never even had that ambition in the first place. Shiv very ambitious, but thwarted here, is now in this situation where she's still close to Tom. Tom has some power, even though really, does he have power? He's just the face of this organization. And his CEO tenure is purely based on the whims of Matson. How long will he do what Matson wants to maintain this position? He's eaten a lot of shit to get to this point, and he will probably be good at eating mats and shit for years to come. So he probably will maintain this role. But would Shiv want that role as it is cast here in the form of Tom? Absolutely not. She would not want that. And Kendall, of course, so dedicated to just this one thing, unable to see his life in any other context. He, I do worry about. Um, Hopefully, I mean, this is just like if this was a real life person, you'd hope they could spend time with their family get some counseling, reconnect with his kids, find some other valuable purpose in his life. Can he do that? I don't know. There's been no indication that that would be the case here, but we can only hope. And how satisfied am I with Tom ending up in this role? I mean, he positioned himself. Once again, he has been climbing that corporate ladder. He has always been doing the strategic thing, even when it comes to the relationship with Shiv, and I feel like he's become a colder and more pragmatic person. But he always had this really strong ambition to have more. He had that conversation with Shiv earlier in the season, speaking to the fact of what drives him and how she has nothing to lose and he has much, much to lose. So it makes sense. How satisfying is it? I'm not sure. So I might need to digest this a little bit more. As an episode of television, this is extraordinary. It's exceptional. It's exceptional. As the ending of this show, I don't know. I don't know if I give this a 10 out of 10. As an episode, it's one of the best episodes of the show. As the final chapter in this story, I don't know. I got to think about it. Um, But I did like it. (laughs) Okay. It's late now and I still have to edit all this, but stay tuned. As I mentioned later this week. Oh, I still have to watch Barry. Oh my God. I very much looking forward to the Barry finale. So I still got to watch the Barry finale. So edit this episode. Hopefully it'll get out before 1 a.m. Got to watch the Barry episode. Stay tuned. Tomorrow, my thoughts on the Barry episode as well. I have the day off. I just remembered. Hey, I got the day off. Great. So I have time to do all this. A conversation with Sona about the finale of Succession as well. And more episodes later this week. Ted Lasso's season finale, series finale, I should say. And that catch-up episode finally catching up on the first half of the show Silo and a recap of the most recent episode as well. All to come this week. So you'll be hearing from me very soon. Good night, everybody. Or good morning if you're hearing this in the morning.